0: Hello. Thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Well, good morning. Good to see each of you here this morning. Glad that we can worship our great Lord and Savior. Um, was looking, pulled up my phone this morning, and uh, when you slide—at least for my phone—when you slide over to the left, it gives you some information. One of it's the weather. Another is a picture that it just pulls out of random. You know, like sometimes it's like a year ago. Well, this was a random one because it was of crocuses, three crocuses that were beautifully in bloom that I had taken a picture in March of 2019. I'm like, you know, those look pretty nice today. And, uh, and maybe that's a good reminder for us as we keep trudging through the winter. Um, spring will be coming, and before you know it, it'll be summer, and you'll be complaining that it's too hot. So um, so we enjoy what we have today, which fits in well with what we want to talk about this morning. Uh, this morning's our last uh, in a series of joyful generosity, and I've enjoyed going through this in my own heart, in my own life, and this morning, we we'll want to look at godly contentment. Godly contentment. And contentment is something that's difficult, right? Um, usually, you, you, you want something that you don't have. Um, for my girls, it became very clear. My oldest um, desired, you know, to have a certain style of hair that she didn't have. And my second child, who had the opposite, wanted the opposite right and uh and so uh it's just funny you, we are we just naturally are kind of prone to want uh what we don't have and want to, as we see or as we hear or as we've been taught or as we grow up and so contentment contentment is not something that just comes natural it's not easy and it's not something that's just gonna where you wake up one day and say, I'm going to be content for the rest of my life. That, that's really hard. And, uh, and so we want to dig into that this morning. And this morning will be a little bit different. We're not going to just look at one passage. We're going to look at a few different passages. Um, but what I would like for us to do is uh, what God has impressed on my heart to share this morning is four areas. I want to share with you four areas uh, of contentment in our life and how we can live in those four areas. And, uh, and I'm sure the, the first three, uh, or maybe the, just the first two uh, will be normal and you'll, you'll like, yeah, I heard that before. Um, but I think even the next two, I think will be helpful for us as we walk through it. Um, I don't know about you, but especially as a kid, I've always, you know, you have these dreams and it used to be, you would get these, catalogs used to be long time ago JCPenney or the Sears catalog right and you'd flip through that and you kind of get ideas for Christmas or for your birthday and you know you kind of walk through and they're like oh that would be so cool to have well then Toys R Us you know Toys R Us would come out with their before Christmas you know like booklet and you just look through there and you're like oh that's an awesome Nerf gun. I've never had one of those. Like that would be so much cooler. Like it'll shoot farther and harder and I'll hurt my brother with it. It'll be awesome. You know, it's like, so you're just looking for like, that's part of advertising, helping you to realize that you need this. And uh, there was a short period of time where in, in our early marriage, where Lisa banished me from going to Sam's club because I didn't realize I needed all that stuff. And you walk in and you're like, wow, where, where's all this been? Like I'm missing out in life. I remember wanting a paintball gun so bad. We were just married and we were in youth ministry and we had played paintball a few times. And man has, I've got some great stories and paintball and I wanted my own gun. And I thought that would be like the ultimate best, you know? And so I just prayed, you know, that's what you do. You pray and you say, Lord. You know, I could really use this paint gun for your good, right? Lord, would you please give me a paint gun? I promise I'll apologize to all the teens if I hurt them, but it'll be good. It'll make him tough. Like I want them to be tough. It'll be great. Well, the Lord blessed me with the paintball gun one Christmas. And, uh, and not long after that, that paintball gun, um, sat on the shelf. And actually that paintball gun is still sitting on the shelf in my basement and I've used it a few times, but the reality became very clear through a period of time. I didn't like, I loved playing paintball, but did I really need a paintball gun? If you want to go paintballing with me, let me know. And I'll be glad to pull that out. And it'll help me to feel a little better about my desire of wanting a paintball gun. Um, Maybe, maybe for you, it's something different. You know, how many of you were you eat a nice meal? And, uh, I had fixed, I had this grandiose idea of dinner earlier this week. And so I fixed this nice meal and we had a really nice meal. And, uh, and after the meal, everybody got up and left and I'm like, you know, I'm still, I'm still not satisfied. Even though I hadn't chicken and mashed potatoes and green beans. And it was really good. But I wanted something more. I didn't need anything more. I was full. I was satisfied. It was great. But I wanted something more. And so I go to the one cupboard that has all the extras. Right? Maybe you have that. Or there's a bin on top of our fridge that has Halloween and Christmas and soon-to-be Valentine's Day candy. You know? And usually we try to cycle through that. Um, But it's like... Okay, and that's the worst part about preaching because you're just mauling it over in the days ahead. And so you're like, I got to get up and preach about contentment. Am I content with not having more? And so God spoke to me and I'm like, all right, it's not bad to have a Snickers, but do I really need a Snickers bar right now? Whatever it is for you, we all wrestle and struggle with contentment. And that's what we want to look at this morning. Would you bow your head and would you pray with me as we get ready to dig into the word? Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Thanks for the opportunity to live our lives in a way that pleases you and brings you glory. It's amazing that we can do that, Lord. That the Lord of the universe has created us and placed us here so that we could somehow, in some way, reflect you to others and and before all of creation. Lord, thank you for that opportunity. Thank you for that gifting. Lord, as we dig into your word now, help us uh, to be mindful. Help us to be attentive, Lord, to your spirit and your working and leading in our lives. And I pray that what what we hear this morning would be true and right. Lord, we would take it from your word and we would seek to live it out. Lord, not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word as well. And so, Lord, help us this morning as we learn more about this joyful generosity and in this way we live out godly contentment. So, Lord, help us in this time. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And uh, when we look at verses 6 through 8, um, we see here... How um, Paul is talking about uh, a desire to live in contentment, and this is kind of our theme uh, as we walk through today, but First Timothy 6, um, 6 through 8, it says, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we had food and clothing, with these we will be content." Uh, It's interesting as Paul's writing about this and we see the imagery here, uh, godliness with contentment is just not profitable. It is of great gain. It's almost like Paul's playing with the words there, right? If you're content with what you have, you actually will gain more instead of striving and desiring to have more and really not gaining it. Or having less. And so he uses this example. And we're going to see this a little bit later from the book of Job. But he says, for we brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. So you came into this world with what? Right? Being born. All of you were born from your mother. All right? You were born out and you came out naked naked. Having nothing in your hands, you weren't carrying keys to a car. You didn't have the house deed in your hand. You came in with nothing, not even the clothes. And Paul is reminding Timothy here and the other believers. He says, listen, you came into the world with nothing and we cannot take anything out of the world. We used to say in college that you didn't, behind the hearse, there wasn't a bunch of U-Hauls, right? They're not going to bury you with all of your stuff. Some people have done that, and we see that even through the ages and the Egyptians and some of what they desire to take with them into the afterworld they they would ask to be buried with. And the reality is all of that stuff is still there. It didn't go with them, and you can't take it with you. And he finishes with this in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. And so there are definitely some needs that we have. And we see that even in Matthew. And we looked at that text with Jesus is talking to those who who are beginning to follow him and the ministry there uh, about how he provides. And you don't have to worry. Don't be anxious for anything. Look at the lilies of the field and how God has clothed them. Look at the sparrow, the bird, and how God has provided food for them. And so God provides for us. And so when we look at this, can you and I say, I have food and I have clothing and that's enough? Now, the areas that where we wrestle with and where we struggle with, uh, the first one is this. That I want to talk about is possessions possessions. We struggle with possessions right content with what I have Um, and and kind of the idea about this is having more or living a simple life simplicity and I just have to ask you and I have had to ask me this and I continue to ask myself this what are my essential needs. Because when I walk into Sam's club, I'm not thinking about essential needs. I'm talking about a luxury or I could do this or this would really help me. Not all of that's bad. I'm not here being a Debbie downer condemning everything, but what I am challenging each of us and myself included with this is we are living lives of luxury. And I think we really struggle. If we would be honest, we really struggle with this idea of contentment. And part of that is the, when we look at our possessions. There's a member of our household that really felt the need to um, get something to help us in our living area. I won't say who it was, but she really wanted new pillows. And I'm looking and saying, man, pillows. Why do we need more pillows? Was it wrong to get more pillows? No. Our others had strings coming off of them. And I think they do just fine. Like a pillow's a pillow. But for her, she's like, this, these are starting to look. They're they're many years old. I won't say how old they were. But because you, some of you who came to our house probably sat on them. But she was just looking to. Say, you know what? This is something I would like. And for Christmas, if if I could get that, is that wrong to say, you know what? Here's a possession that I know it's not a big deal, but I'd like to have new pillows. What I want to caution us as we look at contentment is uh, I don't see in scripture where, where God tells us that we are called each, where God calls each and every one of us uniquely together um, in in that we are to do without all the extravagance what he does call us to is to sacrifice our lives roman twelve one says that we are to be a living sacrifice, and so I use that example in 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 kind of an Uh, An argument in a way, but just to say, I'm not telling you today that you can't enjoy something nice. If God has blessed you, use those blessings for his glory. But as you go about looking at your possessions, ask yourself, do I need this to serve the Lord? Now, be careful because there's sometimes that we play games, right? Like the paintball. Lord I could really do a great number of ministry things with my paintball. Don't play games with God. When we look at the passage in Ecclesiastes and if you want to turn there you can, Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon as we know as Solomon lives his life, he is a man of great wisdom. God blessed him. He asked for wisdom. God blessed him with great wisdom. In that blessing God makes Solomon, uh, allows him to be very fruitful. He has many possessions and many things. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 11, um, this is what he says. He says, I, I, and I'll back up. Only verse 11 will be up on the screen. But verse 9 says, says, So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Verse 11. Here it is. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun what solomon is saying is listen i i strived i did these things i worked with my hands i pursued all of this i there was not a luxury that i withheld from my eyes and you know how he sums it up he says it's like chasing after the wind i remember being a kid and you see the wind kind of blowing you ever see those little we call them mini tornadoes i'm sure there's some Maybe Logan would know it, but some term for that, where the where you see these leaves and they're just going around in these minute tornadoes, and you would run out there and you'd try to catch the leaves, and you'd want to jump in the middle of that. It's frivolous because you can't you can't grab a hold of the wind, and 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 yet it was fun, and and that's what Solomon is saying, and he's expressing. He's like, you go out and you can see the evidence of the wind, but how do you grab a hold of it? You can't, and and he's saying you. You want want all of this to fulfill something in your soul, and it won't do it. It's all vanity. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, need to be reminded of that, that. That as we look at the possessions that we have, desiring more isn't going to bring the happiness that our soul desires. Desiring more isn't necessarily going to allow us to minister better. Or to be a better Christian. Or to open doors that maybe wouldn't. Sometimes God does do that. But we have to be careful of our motives. And the truth is, is, our motives, our heart, and our emotions, we shouldn't always listen to. Just because I feel that it's right, doesn't mean it's right. My heart is wicked and is deceitful. And in fact, above all things, it is cunning. It lies to me. I lie to myself. And so how do we walk through this? We see that in our pursuit of finding value in the possessions, we will fall short. It's like chasing the wind. Our value, our contentment can't be found in gaining more possessions. The second on, on, out of the four things that we want to look at today is money money and uh, it's interesting because they're well let's just look dig into Ecclesiastes 5. Ecclesiastes 5 Solomon has something to say about this as well Ecclesiastes 5 verses 10 through 12 he says who he who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income this also is what vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. This is a great little book. I mentioned it, I think, in week number one. It's, uh, it's called the, the Genius of Generosity. It's uh, generous living is a joyful living. Um, by Chip Ingram and I would highly suggest it. it's an easy read. It's an easy book um, to follow along and to read and and I I'd, I'd really encourage you to get it. I After I had already set up my sermon series, I, I ran across it and I'm like, man, thank you, Lord. This is a great tool to have and one of the things that uh, That Chip talks about and I just want to read to you here um, That that I I've heard before but I've I've never seen it personally, and I just want to read it for you. Um, He says this. uh, He says, Teresa and I were walking down a downtown city once and came across a little book called The Rich Are Different. It's full of quotation and antidotes about the wealthy. One of the stories in it is about Osman Ali, the Nizam of the Hyderabad, Uh, considered to be the richest man in the world in the 1940s. When he died, his rooms were found to be full of stacks of currency eaten by rats and gems in color-coded safes, red for rubies, green for emeralds, blue for sapphires. That's a great picture of what Solomon describes when he says that whoever loves money never has enough. Numerous wealthy people seem to agree. John Day Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Andrew Carnegie said, millionaires rarely smile. John Jacob Astor, one of the wealthiest men in the world, said he was the most miserable man in the world. Um, Wealth is a high-maintenance endeavor, Chip says, and it's draining. It's exactly what Solomon warned about. When he says the sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich man permits no sleep. Now I want to read to you this story because I think this sums up and I'm not saying that you're this way and I'm not saying that all rich people are this way. We'll talk about that in a moment. This is an example of how riches can eat at a person. One of the clearest examples of the misery of hoarding wealth is the case of Hetty Green. She inherited several million dollars and multiplied it many times through the stock market. Still, she lived in boarding houses, resold used newspapers and empty bottles, and carried crackers in her purse to avoid the expense of restaurants. There's a story about her son's leg. He broke it in an accident. And even though her annual income exceeded $7 million, Hetty tried to have him treated at a charity ward. When she was recognized and turned away because she wasn't a charity case, she got angry and she determined to heal his wounds herself. Eventually, his leg had to be amputated. Hetty Green's case is an extreme example for sure, but it makes a powerful point hoarding wealth in itself never brings happiness and it can be lost at any time the real question is how are you and i doing how are you and i doing the same thing in far much subtle ways as solomon said chasing after wealth is like chasing after the wind as we've said wealth is not wrong the bible never forbids having a lot of money abraham had a lot and so did david Both were used mightily by God. Many key figures in the New Testament church were landowners, and they used their wealth to finance the ministry of Jesus and of the early church. The Bible doesn't condemn wealth. It condemns pursuing wealth and seeking fulfillment in it. I thought that was a good passage, and I just wanted to share that with you from that book because I think it speaks highly of the example, and he even says it. Yes, it is an extreme case, but we can easily, in our subtle ways, start rolling down a road where we're pursuing or we're holding on to the wealth that we have or desiring more. Paul talks about this in the passage that we were at in Timothy, and so if you want to flip back there with me, um, please, you can. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and in verses 17 through 19. Verses 9 and 10, 1 Timothy 6 says this, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and into destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now let me pause there real quick because some people have taken this out of context. Look at what the verse says there. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It does not say that the love of money is the root. It is a root. It is a means of destruction. It is not the only. So be careful. He says, it is through the craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. That Greek term craving means to strive, to obtain, to aspire, to eagerly long for. You're desiring, you're wanting this, you're craving it, just like you crave an ice cream bowl or you're craving a a big steak or you're craving this big thing or event. It's the same term that we see in Hebrews 11, though, and used in a good way, Hebrews 11:6, 6, where the writer of Hebrews just went through all of those who were living by faith and they were trusting God and they were following him. And it says they were desiring or they were craving a better country, it says, in Hebrews 11:6, 6. For us, as followers of Jesus, we live by faith pursuing not the riches of this world not not desire not giving into the craving or the hoping to get rich the obtaining of those riches that will satisfy us no we keep our eyes on what is to come the country that is to come what is to come heaven glory to be with God forever that's where we keep our eyes fixed upon and that's where Paul writes here later on and he 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul's saying, Store up yourself a foundation for the future, meaning not for your future generation of kids, not for you later on, so you can retire well. He's talking about glory, he's talking about heaven, storing up treasures in heaven, the things that will last for all of eternity. Because we forget quickly that this earth isn't all there is. We get hung up. We lose sight of what is the bigger picture. The third is the concern uh, that I have for godly contentment is in relationships. And I've seen this play out in, in, in many different ways. And we don't have time to look at it. But I encourage you to go and to read Genesis 29 and 30. Because I think it, it speaks, it spoke to me as I was reading through it. It hit me as, as here was Jacob, and as he um, is deceived by his soon-to-be father-in-law, Laman, he, he is deceived, and he is given Leah as the wife first instead of Rachel. So he's worked seven years to earn the right to marry Rachel, He's deceived, he's given Leah, so now he has to work another seven years. So there's great turmoil in the relationships already. And all that, let me just say, there's there's been turmoil in relationships from day one, okay? So you live in your life, and the turmoil in relationships is nothing new. But what we see is ultimately the animosity of Leah and Rachel Towards one another, but their desire, their craving to have the love of their husband, not necessarily a bad thing, but they're, they're, they're seeking after something that was not going to satisfy them. I think that's not much different than what I see today from a lot of people in different places and different times in their life. I think we struggle with contentment at times in our relationships. Maybe you're single and you're saying, man, I just wish I had a great boyfriend or I just wish I had a great girlfriend. I wish I could marry somebody that that loved Jesus and that God would provide that. It's not wrong to yearn or to ask God. But as we are asking God to be able to still have a heart, That says, God, I, I am content with where you have me today. Some of you may sit or be here and say, you know what? I just wish I had a really good friend. Or man, I really wish I had a really good boss or a really good teacher. I believe that when we look at contentment, it goes far beyond just the material things of possessions and far beyond just money. And so I encourage you and I challenge you this morning, look at your relationships. And I, I want to encourage you to pray and to ask God if you're missing something in your life that you feel that, that would help you, pray about it and give it to God. But let me strongly encourage you to find contentment, ask God for peace so that where you're at and the moment of where you're at, you would find his goodness. You would see his goodness. Some of you may be in hard relationships, whether that's with friends or maybe even with your spouse, maybe with your kids. Would you say before God today, Lord, help me to be content. The last is this, our health, our health. Um, turn with me to Job. I'm going to read several sections from Job here In Job chapter one. Most of you would know this story, um, of Job and what, what has transpired, he's um, lost in the first chapter, he's lost pretty much everything of value physically. Uh, he's lost his children. He's lost all of his possessions, his sheep, his camels, everything that he had. Except for his wife. He's got a, 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 a good wife here, and I won't get into that too much, but his wife is there. And at this point, he has his health. Okay. And so Job 1 Um, Verse 20 says, Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Remember that passage that we started today with, that Paul was talking to Timothy about? You came into the world with nothing, and you cannot take anything out of it. It speaks highly of what we read here that Job has spoken. Verse 22 says, In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with the wrong. Let's keep going. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. A blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery Which to scrape himself while he sat in ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. A few things as we look at this. First, uh, great Great hurt, great pain has been afflicted upon Job. Again, a reminder to us, uh, a few things. First, uh, as we think about our lives, Satan uses this lie to help us to think that we're all alone. Or this has never happened before. Or nobody has gone through what I've gone through. Solomon says there's nothing new under the sun. And so don't listen to the deceiver. Don't listen to Satan as he tries to tell you, oh, the hardship that you go through, nobody else has been through that before. While you are unique and your circumstances are unique, when we look at all that has gone on in Job's life, all right, he's hit it hard. And there are some people who sit in this room this morning and, and maybe watching online. You've gone through hard things in your life. And I'm not downplaying that. I don't want to diminish the hurt and the sorrow and the grief, the realness of those situations and circumstances. The difficulty it is to walk through that, very challenging. You are not alone though. And Satan wants to isolate you away. We see here as Satan comes before God, a couple of things. Number 1, God is sovereign, all right? He's in control of all things. Satan has to report to him. All right, God is all powerful. And so as we walk through life uh, and we walk through different situations, we can trust that God is in control, even though it seems like out of control. And even though we may question and say, why would God do this? All right. What we see is Satan comes before the Lord. In verse four, Satan answers the Lord um, after God says, hey, Satan hasn't even turned his back on you, on, on me. He he." He has stayed faithful in his integrity. But Satan argues and says, skin for skin, all that a man has, he will give for his life. Some people read into this and say, oh, this is, this is, uh, this is what has transpired. Or, or this is talking about what has come um, later with, with Job's skin and his hurt. I don't think that's true. I think it's talking about what is going to come. All right. And so what we see is in verse four, skin for skin and all that a man has, uh, he will give for his life. That was before that was Job losing everything that was out there. Okay. All of his possessions, his children, everything as. Because there's a key word here. Verse 5 says, but, but stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to his, to your face. What Satan is attempting to say is, yes, you can take everything of Job's, all right? You can take all of that away, but if you inflict him in his, in his flesh, on his bones, he will curse you. See, there's something about us as we live our lives. We can walk through challenges, right? We can walk through the difficulties of loss, of sorrow, of hardship. But there's something inside of us where we really wrestle when it comes to our own health and our own well-being. So God allows him. He puts Job in. Satan's hand and says, you can do as you wish, but do not, do not kill him. So as we follow the story, of course, we see here great boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his foot. He's taking shards of, uh, of pottery to open those up so that they can ooze out because of the amount of pain that he's in. This is a real struggle. What we see in chapter three um, verse 20 through 23 is that Job struggled with his health. He struggled with his purpose. And so let's look at that. Chapter three, verse 20 through 23. Job says this, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter and soul who long for death, but it comes not and dig for it more than a hidden treasure. Who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Then if you jump over to chapter 6 verses 8 through 10. Oh that I might have my request. And that God will fulfill my hope. That it would please God. Notice what he says there. That it would please God to crush me. And that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort and I would even exalt in pain unsparing for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What Job is saying is not that he will take his life. We're not in control of that. We should not take that authority into our own hands. What Job is saying is I am asking the Lord that he would relieve me. From the pain and the hardship and the sorrow that I'm going through. What is he asking God to do? To take his life. I believe one of the hardest things as we get older and as we wrestle with the flesh is to be content in our health. At the end of the story, we see God shows up. Job wants an audience with God. He wants an explanation. He wants to know why. In the end, God doesn't give him a reason why. Ultimately, Job trusts God. God blesses Job twofold. And Job continues to honor God through his life and what we see. If God would have taken his life spared job from that pain and that suffering we would have missed what God was trying to communicate to us and many other generations before us when we look at our life and our health our abilities our desires our dreams when we have sickness and when we look at death oftentimes we want to grab a hold and we want to dictate the terms of of what our health should look like. I'm calling us back to a way of thinking and a way of faith where we can rest in the Lordship of our God, that even through the most sorrowful and difficult and challenging times of our life, that he has a purpose and that he has a plan. And I can find godly contentment in that. So if God were to choose to strike us with boils or for you to lose something of significance. One of the greatest blessings that could come from that. Would be that you would find contentment that God is Lord. And that you would be content that, that he has the sovereign, perfect plan for each of our lives. That does not diminish the hurt, the pain, the suffering, the hardship. We have a savior who has walked through life just as you and I, he has experienced what you and I experience. And he is sitting on the right hand of the Father, interceding on our behalf. He knows what it's like to live on this earth. As we think about godly contentment, do we trust in God's lordship over my life? Am I looking for the easy way out? Or for a quick gain. Let me ask you just a few questions as we close. What are you striving for? What is it in you that when you wake up in the morning or as you're going throughout the day that you're desiring? It's not wrong to have desires. God knows our hearts and he wants to hear our desires. And in fact, there's a passage in the New Testament that tells us that we have not because we ask not. God's made us each unique with the gifts and abilities and the desires that he has from us. But when we don't get those desires, when we don't get what we want, can we find contentment in it? What do you need to lay at the Father's feet this morning? What area in your life do you need to just lay there at God's feet and where you need to say, Lord, I trust you. I'm going to trust that you have a plan. Lord, would you give me contentment? Would you help me to rest, to be at peace with whatever your plan is? Another way to ask this is what worries or concerns you? Our world is filled with worries and concerns. They are stressed out. They're trying to find a place of hope. They're trying to find something that's going to help satisfy. We as followers of Jesus, we should know there is one place where we can find contentment in, and that's Jesus Christ because of what he's done for you and for me. Jesus paid it all. When he took our sin upon himself on the cross, his blood paid the sacrifice. It paid the penalty for you and for me, for all of our sin. And we get to experience and we get to walk through life with the ability Of having a God and trusting in him and in his lordship. That says, not only do I trust you for eternal life, but I trust you for what your plan is today and tomorrow and the next day. It's a challenge, isn't it? I wish I could say it's just as simple as we're going to stop and pray and we're going to ask the Lord for contentment. And while that is good, we need to do that. We need to continually do that. And we need to ask the Lord for continual help. And you know what? What's really cool is God's given us a helper to do that. Because he knew we needed help. And the spirit of the living God lives inside of us to help us, to guide us, to lead us, to give to us what we need. The question is, will we listen? Will we trust? Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your very, very goodness in our life. Lord, it's hard to be content. It's hard to find peace. hard to find rest at certain times and sometimes we do feel like Solomon that we're chasing after the wind and yet Lord we we can find fullness we can find exactly what we need what our soul is yearning for when we come to you when we come willing to listen to your word and to obey you. Help us, Lord, to listen to your spirit as you guide us and lead us and direct us. Help us to be able to wrestle through this idea of contentment, not begrudgingly, not because we have to, but Lord, may we look at contentment in a way that sees that you are a generous God and that our soul can be filled with joy in your presence because you are a generous and loving God. And we know that you have our very best in mind when you don't allow something or when you even allow pain and hardship, our health to fall away. So help us to trust you more, help us to love you by obeying your word and loving others. We pray this in the name of Jesus.